you're about to experience a new way to thrive in martial arts by exploring who you are, what you love and standing up for what you believe in. It's time to rise because this is where we challenge and say no to outdated industry norms and say yes to change so that we create a healthier, happier and thriving martial arts community. I'm your host, Laurine Zuhake. Welcome to the Rise to Thrive podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Rob from a Dojo Life. Unbeknownst to me at the time of recording, Rob provided me, and by extension, you, with valuable business advice. We talk about outdated industry norms and self-limiting beliefs. Let's hear it and learn how to go next level with your business. Welcome, Rob, from McDojo Live. I'm very glad to have you here. And well, let's get uncomfortable and talk about parts of the martial arts world that needs to be changed and challenged. Yeah, man. Well, I know all about uncomfortable. <laughs> It kind of comes with the job. Um, I mean, there there's a million and one things that need to be changed with an industry that's based on very old traditions. <laughs> You're looking at an area of business where most people are stuck on the idea that making money is a bad thing. You're almost considered a sellout if you're financially successful, which is very strange. I don't know about you, but I personally have never walked past a homeless person on the street and said, you know what? That person needs to teach a seminar for my school. You know, that guy over there who's, you know, not making any money whatsoever is going to, of course, have the best facility, which in turn will help out their students. Uh, that never happens. So the whole idea is that the industry itself is kind of stuck in this weird echo chamber of nonsense when it comes to how to run a business successfully or how to grow in the industry. And I think that's a super horrible thing. It, it's not something that is good for anyone. It doesn't help anyone out at all. All it does is harm people. And it puts people in these very weird old school ideologies that keeps them poor. Um, and of course, it makes them less efficient at their job because they're less happy at their job. Yeah, it's always a thing like, for instance, in our school, we want to keep the prices in a way that everybody can access it. We wanted to bring accessible, but clearly we also need to get like um, food on the table. Well, you know, the, the weird thing about accessible pricing is, a, is an odd thing in itself. Do you think Lamborghini cares about what you can afford? No, but I'm not Lamborghini. Well, also you're probably not half of the other companies on the planet either, right? So companies don't base their prices off what the customer wants the prices to be. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I don't ask them like what it is that you can afford. It's something, an idea that I think is the minimum that I think it's, it's still affordable for everyone if they are committed to do it. Well, see, that's an odd thing too. So like in terms of like business, so I've been doing martial arts business consulting for studios for now about a decade. And I've been in the industry mm -hmm. for about 26 mm -hmm. years. I'm not saying that you personally are saying we need to ask each individual student what they can and can't afford. I'm saying the idea of us accessible and what is affordable to the common person is kind of a fantasy. We usually do that based off of what we think people can afford. We don't know. And the, another unfortunate thing is people buy things that they can't afford all the time. What is a priority to somebody is different. So I'll give you an example of some things like that come up in terms of doing martial arts business and sales. Um, one of the most detrimental things that people can do is assume what other people can and can't afford based off of what they can and can't afford. So they go, well, I couldn't afford that. So I would never charge that. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you are making less than them. 
maybe they can't afford it. And what is it that they're actually spending their money on? For instance, if somebody came to me and they were trying to come to my martial arts program or any martial arts program I've done consulting for, there are something called the five objections. Are you familiar with the five objections? Yeah, but I think our listeners probably are not. Yeah, so we'll just go through those. So one is I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Um, it's too far away. I have to think about it or I have to talk to my spouse. Now, these are called the five objections because they're the standard five things that people say instead of the word no. Now, if someone said one of those objections, that means that we as martial arts instructors did not do our job. Why? Because we do not cold call people. People come mm -hmm. to us already wanting the service that we provide. Mm -hmm. And so it would be like if you sold apples and someone walked up and said, I need 10 apples. And you said, I have 10 apples. Here you go. If they didn't buy those 10 apples from you, there's a lot of issues leading up to that because mm -hmm. they already wanted the service or the product. So one of the big things that comes up when having those discussions is I have to think about it or I need to talk to my spouse, you know, or it's too far away, all of those things. So those are the five objections. So what I've noticed is like, let's say someone came into your gym and they said, I need to lose 30 pounds so I can have a gastric bypass or a gastric sleeve. Mm -hmm. Now, if anybody's familiar with that, it's a surgery in which you can lose a lot of weight where they go in and they operate on you. So that way, either you eat less or you can't eat more. Right. Um, so when they come to you, though, most doctors require them to lose weight on their own before they can do that. And so when somebody comes to you and they've been either obese, overweight or out of shape, you now have to go around what they were thinking the entire time that got them from point A to point B. So if someone was lazy and that's I'm trying not to be rude, but let's just say that this person is mm -hmm. and they did not eat properly. They did not diet properly. They did not exercise for 15 years. You get one conversation with them when they walk in the door and you have to convince them that you're going to give them a better path in one conversation and one class and most likely one hour. You have to fight 15 years of what their ideology has been and you have to do it like that. So that means you have to get good. Just like any martial artist, you have to learn technique. So when that person comes into you and they say, hey, I want to lose 30 pounds, one of the natural questions is, do you eat fast food? And if they say, yeah, I eat fast food, of, of course you eat fast food, right? So how much do you actually eat? We all eat fast food. Anyone who says they never eat fast food is full of crap, right? So yes, of course they eat fast food. So the question isn't if, it's how often. And if they say, well, I eat fast food like three to four times a week. I go, okay, well, how much do you think that might cost you? Well, nowadays, fast food's fairly expensive. So let's say hypothetically, at the cheapest, they're spending like maybe 10 to 15 bucks a piece. I'll even be polite. I'll say it's $10 a piece. So that means if they're eating fast food three to four times a week, that means they're spending $40 a week on fast food. Times that by four, <laughs> you know, like, so your cost of your gym is going to be cheaper than the, what they're spending in fast food. But what winds up happening is unless you have this conversation with the person, they go, I can't afford it. Well, that's BS. You can afford this fast food because it's a priority to you. You're spending eating $40 a week in fast food times four, you know, so it's not like you're spending a little bit of money, you know, and then if your program, let's say costs 150 and they're spending 160 on fast food and you're able to get them to go, hey, man. Let's not eat the fast food. Let's take that money that you were spending over there, spend it on a gym that's going to save your life. And at the same time, you can eliminate this bad eating habit. Not only are you saving them from eating the fast food and you can help them lose weight that way, 
but now they're investing in their health by get instead of giving 160 to fast food, they're giving 160 to a gym, mm -hmm. right? But if I go, you know what? Um, I understand you can't afford it. That's okay. Well, that would be me not as a coach, not doing my job. So as a coach, I need to look at those factors and I need to talk to them about it. Now, not everybody goes to a gym because they want to lose weight. They all have their different reasonings, but this is just going along the line of that's one thing that person's mismanaging their funds with. I promise you there are others. I promise you they probably at that point have five or six different streaming services that they're paying 10 bucks a piece on. Oh, for right? sure. Like, But I mean, pricing is, of course, an interesting thing. Thing. I mean, when we started out as Bluebells, because we then left the gym, other gym because of sexual harassment and everything, and we were like, okay, we need to save space. We cannot accept this. Our prices were very low because we had this limiting belief that the service we offer since because we're just only Bluebells is not as good as a black belt. So we definitely undercharged. But then when we got some, some black belt visitors and said like, hey, but you guys can teach beginners as well as I can. Or like when we then went to competition and actually our students did just as well, if not better than those that train under a black belt, we started also to, you know, have a change of belief that the surface and the way how we offer it and drumming from way, which is means still working very hard and still going to competition. Um, there we indeed started changing. I will say that in Europe, like paying like $200 or whatever a month is like something you don't really have here. Like we definitely have in Europe a little bit different financial structure. Also because here in Germany, for instance, you have clubs that are kind of subsidized by the state so you pay maybe 100 euros 150 euros like a year you will have not many classes you'll have also not really good coaches either because they kind of they call it so they just kind of basically do it for free but it's sometimes hard to compete i mean obviously we offer more classes it's professional it's like all of that um but sometimes i do feel like if I, if I don't have also a sauna or something really specifically, it's very hard to go so much. Obviously, we ask like per month way more than that they would pay, you know, these 150 euros divided by the 12 months. But I feel that in America, you can ask so much more than you can in Europe in general. Well, I want to talk about a couple things. You mentioned a laundry list of things. So basically, I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of business consulting advice while we're here. All right. So one, well, that's I think everybody will be very happy with this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, one, your prices should never be arbitrary. Your prices, if they are expensive, there should be a reason they are expensive. If your prices are cheap, there should be a reason they are cheap. What you should never do is go, I want this to be affordable by everybody. That's just not how the world works in general. Um, because what winds up happening is we do it because we think we're being kind. And the issue with that is the people who pay the least are the ones who give you the most issues. The people who pay the least show up the least. And as a matter of fact, there's a very good business model that most people have probably seen before that hate, right, is Planet Fitness. So Planet Fitness has this business model where you pay only, it's like 10 bucks a month, right? Which, you know, it's pretty cheap, 10 bucks a month, unlimited access to the gym. You could do, go in whenever you want. That business model is put up in such a way where it's so mm -hmm. cheap, they don't care if you don't show up because they know that you won't cancel because you want to, oh, I'll go back next month. And then they get 10 more bucks. Well, when they have hundreds and hundreds of people who sign up and never actually get rid of the payment, that like, hey, I'm done. I don't want to come back to the gym. They just get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars from people who never actually get their service. Because they know for a fact the people who pay the least show up the least. Mm -hmm. When you have a lot to lose, you show up, <laughs> right? If, for instance, your job, if you went to your job and you just didn't show up one day, 
you have a lot to lose your job. <laughs> they will fire you like, oh, Steve didn't show up twice this month. So guess what? Steve's gone. Like he's he's out. Right. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Well, because there's more value to it. So what do you do? You show up even when you don't want to because you understand the risks of what you're losing. Well, the more there is to lose, the more reason you have to show up. So prices should always be based on a lot of factors how much you have to pay in your rent, how many people you can afford to have in your space. If I can only have afford to have five people in a class at a time, I have to charge a lot. But then again, that leads us to the next thing, which is something called perceived value. Perceived value is what a customer sees your product or brand as from their eyes as a consumer. So for instance, I can have two completely similar, almost identical nightclubs. And if I go and I'm walking, you know, I want to go to a Latin nightclub. I feel like shaking my butt tonight. So I start walking down the road and I look at two clubs, one club on the left and one club on the right. The club on the right has a line out the door. People are waiting an hour to be able to get into this nightclub and it's cold and they're freezing, and it's a nightclub night, so they're not wearing much, and they're willing to stand there and shiver in the cold to wait to get into that nightclub. But then I look to the left of the road, and on the left of the road, I see a nightclub that's completely empty. Why doesn't the people who were over here in this line in the freezing cold just go over to the other nightclub? Legit question. It's a legit question, but yeah, it's what they say also, you know, if you are somewhere abroad or whatever, go eat where it's busy, you know, like it's one of these... Things because you assume, you assume indeed that the value and everything there is there. No. It's called, that's perceived yeah. value. That's an assumption that the quality is good. So people are willing to wait for good quality. People are willing to pay more for good quality. People are willing to do a lot for quality. What most martial arts gyms fail to do is provide perceived value. So for instance, little things like how many times did you have a phone call with this person before they showed up to your gym? If the answer is zero, you're providing no perceived value whatsoever. You should have at least two phone calls with them, at least. Your initial phone call when they're trying to find out about your goods and services. And then after that, you should have a follow-up phone call to confirm that they're going to be there. Like, hey, I just noticed that I had you scheduled for today at X amount of time. I just want to confirm that you'd be able to make it, right? Mm -hmm. Now that they showed up, during that time, I should have established what's called know, like, and trust. Know, like, and trust is the standard basis for any sale. So if somebody comes to me and I go, hey, here, take this flyer. No one likes that. No, if you're walking down the road and someone's just randomly handing flyers to you, you're going to ignore that flyer and probably not even look at it. You're going to grab it and throw it in the trash. It could literally be a flyer for a million dollars. Here, here's free money. But you would never know because they did not approach you in a way that was professional. Mm-hmm. So if me as a someone who's trying to sell a service that they already want starts off as unprofessional, All I'm doing is digging my grave. I'm making it harder for them to buy the service or product. So for me, I have to establish know, like, and trust. If someone doesn't know you, they don't have the opportunity to like you. If someone doesn't like you, they don't have the opportunity to trust you. And if someone doesn't trust you, they're not going to buy anything from you. So during these initial phone calls, that first phone call, I should be getting to know my client. And not just because I want to make a sale, but because I want to be a good coach. Hey, what makes you want to do this? Okay, that's cool. Do you have, all right, awesome. Hey, I hear a dog in the background. I have a dog too. What's your dog like? We're getting to know each other. And in the industry, we call this first dating. I'm just talking to you. We're having a conversation, right? Now, after that, at the end of that conversation, I need to make sure I do something called pre-framing. Pre-framing is me setting up a structure so that way by the time you show up to the gym, you already know 100% what's going to happen to you. 
martial arts gyms can be very unnerving for a lot of people. So if someone goes into a gym and you, for instance, didn't say hello to them when they walked in. So you're there working out, you're hitting the bag, you're looking all mean, right? They don't know who you are. And there you are, loud music playing. They walk in for the first time and you look over and you're still mean mugging and you don't say hello. You just ruined their first experience. That's done. They will not be purchasing from you because you put yourself above them. Not because it was so mean or so anxious because you literally showed them you don't care. You don't care. You didn't take two seconds to stop what you were doing to work on you to put your client above you. So that's a bad start, right? But then at that point, what are you going to do to ease their mind? If you had a good first phone call, they already knew I told them to show up about 30 minutes before their class starts. Why? Because that old nightmare that a lot of people have, right? They walk into class naked and they walk into class like 30 minutes late. So as soon as they open the door, everyone's staring at them. That's like a legit thing for people. They don't like being late because they don't want to be stared at. So get them there early. But if you don't tell them that and you say, hey, your class starts at seven, they're not going to think about that. They're going to show up at seven, get them there early. That way, it's just you and them. Now you have this great one-on-one conversation and you can literally eliminate all of those objections we talked about before. Hey, where are you coming from? Oh, I actually work right around the corner. Oh, cool. What do you do? Oh, what what people might see in the, from the outside is we're having a conversation. That's not what I see at all. I see that that's one objections taken care of. He can no longer tell me or she that it's too far away. Why can they not tell me it's too far away? They just told me they work right around the corner. So if they said that, they and I both know that's BS. Oh, cool. How long have you been thinking about doing something like this? Oh, well, you know, I've been thinking about doing it for years. That's a casual conversation as a coach. I get to find out how interested they are. But also as a salesperson, they can no longer tell me they have to think about it. Why? They just told me they've been thinking about it for two years. Hey, here's our schedule. I want to walk you over. Classes are roughly around the same time and the same date every week. If this is something that you enjoy, like I hope you will, how many times a week do you think you'll be able to show up? And if they look at me and they go, well, you know, probably two or three times a week, I can say, you know what? On average, most of our students show up about two to three times a week. And now they can no longer tell me they don't have the time, right? Oh, what are you trying to get out of this? So why, what brings you in? Oh, well, you know, I wanted to lose 30 pounds. That's awesome. And you have the support of your family to do this? And they go, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, my, my, my wife really wants me to do this or my, uh, my, my roommate really thinks this is good for me. My family is supportive, whatever the case may be. Well, now they can no longer tell me they have to ask their spouse. Mm-hmm. They just told me they have complete support. And then finally, the money thing is the easiest one to get around. You just basically give them the best deal on their first day ever. So like if we have a $200 registration fee, I'm going to waive that for your first day. And then, you know what, they already showed up. Maybe they paid for a trial instead of a free class. Well, you know what, since you paid for a three class pass and you paid 30 bucks for three classes, I'm just going to incorporate that into the price of your first month. So rather than owing us $100 for this month, you actually only owe us 70 bucks. Mm -hmm. So I just took the price from $300 to 70 bucks. That's a great deal. And so what winds up happening is now I've developed no like and trust. Now I've showed them what our prices normally are. I've dropped that price for them. It's not going to be any better any other time they show up. It's a first day special. So now I have a new client that I can actually help. And it's all based on understanding that there's more to this than just being good at kicks and punches. (laughs) Because just like anything else, there's technique involved. Yeah, thank you very much for this. We definitely get better at it. But indeed, we had to to learn it. Like We always found that once the people came in, 
then you know we had uh, you know the conversations and that like usually when they come in they stay so that is something where I'm, I feel confident because we have a different approach from a trauma-informed approach. But actually what you're describing is in many ways very informed because indeed you mm. ask their objectives, ask their, you figure out what they're about, also kind of what their fears and challenges are. You kind of figure that out. So that's already like very similar from a different perspective, which I find very useful. Mm. And also for us, like I remember in the beginning, we just like, yeah, we had some flyers there, but we didn't know anything anything about marketing or how to do it and yeah you just kind of waited and then people came and you know more people came and word of mouth did a lot but now that we also moved gyms we have now a bigger location two rooms so we can offer a whole lot more um of course it's also more expensive so we definitely are also now that we feel like we're now also at this point where we really uh, need to up the marketing technique side of things like that we really over COVID actually we really um, learned a lot because we actually gained members because of our trauma-informed approach and we we were we, we could market that very well somehow we figured that out but now I sense like we're like in this next stage and indeed as we go we figure out indeed limiting beliefs we have about ourselves about our surfaces about finances about all these mm. things that i really find that for good marketing you need to know in your own bs so well because otherwise it just sips through and you can kind of ruin it for no reason well everything is based off of numbers like you know if you're working out you can measure if that's working you can measure your bicep mm -hmm. you can measure your thigh you can measure your waist you can measure your weight right? Those are measurable things. So I know if I'm reaching a goal or not, if I just work out every day and I stare in the mirror every day, I'm not going to see results off the bat. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to physically see them, but over a long period of time, I eventually will. But that could be very discouraging for a lot of people when they're trying to lose weight is they get so caught up on the scale and so caught up on looking how they look mm -hmm. that they forget that these things take a little time and it needs to be approached in a scientific way. Did you measure are you measuring your calories? Are you measuring how many times are you writing down what your workouts are? You know, are you keeping track? Are you taking monthly photos to see and compare? Like those are measurable and attainable things. A lot of people don't do that. So they typically just fail because they're not looking at this like work. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that's going to make you successful is actual work. And people don't like that word. And unfortunately, that's just how it is. So it's our job to convince people that work is good for you. <laughs> work will give you something. Work will lead somewhere. Yeah. And you were talking about something earlier that I took note of, uh, which is, you know, you guys were self-conscious, it seems, about your prices because you guys were not black belts. And so for anybody out there who has that same issue, I'll just ask a couple of questions to see if this matters, right? Uh, the president of Walmart, what belt is he? Don't know. Okay, cool. The CEO of Microsoft, what's his belt? Don't know. Okay, how about the guy who owns Target? What's his belt? Don't know. Shell Gas Station, what's his belt? Don't know. McDonald's, what's his belt? Don't know. Exactly. Why? Because belts do not matter in your business. If we're sitting around the table at any company whatsoever, even a martial arts company, doesn't matter. Here I am, the CEO there's a CFO, the head of research and development is there. Hell, we even got an HR there person just in case things get crazy. And we're all having a conversation. And then all of a sudden the janitor walks in. The janitor's just picking up garbage and taking the garbage and throwing it away and doing what the janitor does, minding his own business. The whole table stops because they know the janitor is a black belt in jujitsu. They go, hold on now. 
We all have good ideas based on our MBAs and our college degrees, but the janitor could beat us all up. Let's see what he has to say. You know when that's ever happened in the history of any company? Never. Why? Because that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. doesn't. If you own a company, you hire people who are good at their job. So, for instance, if you've never trained martial arts a day in your life, would you probably be teaching martial arts? Probably not. Could you own a martial arts studio? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Hire someone who does know how to teach martial arts. Structure your business. Run policies and procedures. Understand how to run the back end of things. Understand how to do billing correctly. Understand about lead generation, conversion, retention rates. You don't need a black belt and how to punch people in the face to run a good business. You need a black belt and how to run a business to run a good business. That's what we figured out. Yeah. That's what we learned. Yeah. We get very self-conscious because mm -hmm. we think that matters. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like if you're a blue belt, that means you should be able to teach white belts pretty efficiently. I would hope if you're a purple belt, you should be able to teach blue belts. You know, there are gyms that only teach black belt competitors. That's it. Right. If you look at like the uh, the B team, for instance, mm -hmm. which uh, if anybody's familiar with jujitsu, you had the Donahue death squad. Right. You had Gordon Ryan, Gary Tonin, the best in the world. Then they had a riff. They had a split. Then you have the guys who were still with Donahue. But then you have the B team. Right. And the B team guys at first, when they first opened up their gym, were not teaching anyone else but black belt competitors. So if they only teach black belt competitors, why can you not have a gym that only teaches white belts? Because what's going to wind up happening is if you as a blue belt are still teaching, still learning, still training, you should still keep growing. You should be able to still keep growing your business. Oh, well, you know, I'm only a blue belt, so I technically can't rank anyone. Okay, hire a black belt. Like it's a business. Hire someone who knows how to do that job. If I'm running a, a mechanic shop, it doesn't matter if I'm a good mechanic or not. I hire certified mechanics to work on cars. I run the business. So you don't need a black belt to run a good martial arts studio. What you need is an understanding of fundamentals of business and hire people who can do that job. You know, like if I'm a millionaire, I don't care what job it is. I will make it work. I want to own a restaurant. Cool. You think LeBron James and like, I'm sure he owns a restaurant. He probably owns a shoe company. You know, you think anyone who's rich just goes into the thing that they know. You think Shaquille O'Neal knows anything about insurance, even though he's a spokesperson for the general? No. <laughs> he just owns an insurance company because he invested in it. It doesn't matter if he knows about insurance or not. So it's the same thing with martial arts schools. If you have a passion for something, pursue it, but pursue it like you give a damn. Like, okay, I love martial arts. I'm not good at it. Maybe you're a quadriplegic, right? You're sitting in a wheelchair. You cannot do martial arts. That does not stop you from pursuing that dream. But you should be good at this part. <laughs> you should damn sure be good at the numbers, how to run the business, how to have good lead generation, conversion, retention, mm -hmm. all of that you can do without a black belt. Yeah. Yeah. For us, what was a big game changer was when we invested in software that that we just got the numbers. Like that was so helpful that we also just could see where the people lived, kind of like on the map as to see like where that we could see like, oh, actually, because where we thought it was, like that was so cool because we thought we had an idea, but then when we saw the actual data, on several points, we stood definitely corrected. Some things were correct. Some things were totally off. And that definitely helped us so much in better targeting, getting a bit, our message better across and all that. So I also, that we that, that I'm very happy because you just get the data. Yeah. Um, what software do you use? It's called Magic Line. I think it's a German thing. 
maybe I heard. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of softwares out there. You have like Zen Planner, Perfect Mind, Mind Body, a lot of softwares that are like POS systems, but they also run statistics and analytics for you. Um, you know, the there are three numbers that run any gym. If you do not know these three numbers off the top of your head, I'm just talking to anyone mm-hmm. in general out there. Um, you really need to, to double check how you're running your systems. Um, I should be able to walk into any gym at any time and say, what are these three numbers? And they should give me a number right there. And not just the owners, but employees as well. So one is your lead generation. Lead generation is very simple. Okay. How many students came into your gym to try a class out this month? That's lead generation, right? Now, once you know that number, if you say, oh, well, no one came in this month, that means you need to work in your advertising. Mm-hmm. Lead generation is a direct reflection of how your advertising is working. If no one's coming in your gym, your ads aren't working, right? The next thing is conversion. Now that that person came in for a trial class, did you get him to sign up? Because if you didn't, chances are good. This is where is something wrong with the classroom structure or am I not taking the time to get that no like and trust from my client for them to trust me to be able to sign up at my my program. So that means that no one's signing up, bad conversion. So you need to work on from that time that they walked into the door, actually from that first phone call, all the way until you sat down to do the contract with them, what does that conversation look like? And that should be monitored, that should be checked out because if you can figure out what the problem is, you can start getting more signups. And then finally you have retention. So now the person signed up, how long did they stay with you? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because of statistics software like Rainmaker, Mind Body, Perfect Mind, we know that on average, most martial artists who start martial arts usually quit between eight months to a year and a half. Mm-hmm. That's the average. Mm-hmm. So on average, most people quit at about a year, which for jiu-jitsu, we call it the blue belt blues, right? Mm-hmm. Someone got their blue belt and then they disappear into yes. the ether. Yes. That's not just jujitsu. That's every martial art. So if we know that, And we know that's the average. If we ask ourselves from a business standpoint, why? If we ask that question a lot, we can fix that retention problem. Did I say happy birthday to the person? Mm -hmm. Did I remember their name? Do I keep them informed about what's going on? If they miss a class, like, and not just one class, but let's say what we call two, four, six calls, which a two, four, six call is probably one of the easiest things any gym can implement. If someone hasn't been there for two weeks, mm-hmm. call them. <laughs> That's it. Hey, man, I just, and I'm not calling them about money, like, which is where mo- most gyms fail. Most gyms only call when you owe them money. Mm-hmm. So call them to show you give a damn. Hey, I noticed you haven't been here in two weeks. Is everything okay? I just wanted to check on you. Yeah, man, I'm sorry. I went on vacation. I just forgot to tell you guys. Oh, that's cool, man. When are we going to see you back again? Oh, well, I get back off on vacation on Monday. So that means I'm going to see you on Tuesday. Oh, okay, cool. See you then, right? Oh, they haven't showed up for a, a four weeks. Well, I'm going to call and send them a text. You know, hey, I just noticed you haven't been here for about a month. I just want to make sure you're okay, right? By that time, usually that means they're probably going to be late on payment. All right, I'm not going to mention payment. Nothing about our conversation will have anything to do with payment. Don't, because I don't care about that. I care about my client. And if I care about them first, the payment will come. This is a part of retention. Because if I put the money before them, I won't keep them. They'll leave. Then, of course, you have the six phone call, which is, hey, I haven't been here in six weeks. That usually means that they're a month behind. Then they haven't been here for another two weeks. So that means now they're probably planning on quitting. So then I call, text, and email. Hey, man, I haven't heard back from you. Like, we're really concerned. It's been over a month, and we haven't heard from you. We just want to make sure you're okay. 
right? Then, of course, you finally get to the eight. And that eight means that they're behind two months payment. You haven't seen them in two months. Well, what I should do is I should offer to wipe that slate clean. Hey, man, I noticed that you're behind on two months worth of payment. And I know that it can be frustrating. It, you, everyone has financial issues and problems. Here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to wipe that slate clean. Like You won't owe us any of that money. Don't be concerned about that, right? We understand. All we ask is just come in. Let's get your back on a different contract, right? And we'll re-sign you. You'll only owe us for one month. You won't owe us any of the back pay. But we just want you to come back in and keep training, man. Um, and then if you show that you care, that works. That has a high percentage chance mm -hmm. of working because you're now putting them above the money. If you always do that, the money will come. You just got to always put them first. And that starts off with, did you even give a damn that they didn't show up? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you didn't care, they didn't show up. And the only time you called them was money. You can't sit there and say that you're not a McDojo. Like that's exactly what a McDojo would do. They only give a damn about the money. And what the problem is, is that most McDojos I've seen over the last decade were all run as poor businesses. They were not doing well as a business. Mm -hmm. And so the irony is so many people want to call McDojos companies that only care about money. When in all honesty, the most financially successful businesses that I have seen have run great and taught great classes. Um, the most mcdojo clubs I've seen were ones that didn't give a damn about the business side. And because of that, they missed like 75% of what we do as a, as a martial art instructor, which isn't just kicks and punches. Mm -hmm. It's sad. Yeah, this is the point. I guess somebody's good in martial arts, maybe also competitively good, has a passion and wants to teach it and thinks, hey, you know, let's just start a business. I just start teaching. I just, you know, and they, they forget the whole business side, the the social component, the dramatic, the drama, you know, potential, you know, toxic things that also can happen on the mats. Like there are all things that I think people don't think about. They just think about, I'm just going to teach somebody how to kick and punch or how to do an arm bar. But all the whole social and the financial business part, either they learn it because they have to, because otherwise big issues, or sometimes they never will. But um, it's true. Like we also, every we have like our business meetings and I'm like, okay, so what did well, what, what did not go well and where, what is missing? You know, where do we have to focus on? Same like with martial arts too. Like when I realize, oh, that part of my game is not really developing well, why not? And fix it. You know, over the years I've gone from gym to gym to gym to gym. Uh, just because of this job, I travel quite a bit. So I'm able to, to go. And when I go, I, I mm -hmm. want to do a dropping class. I want to learn. I want to still train. I love to do it. So half the battle of, tra of traveling is like, oh, I got to find a gym in my area. I want to go train somewhere new and I'll pick any art. It doesn't matter. Like, especially if it's an art I've never done, that's close to my hotel where I am. Oh, I'm doing that. Like, uh, you know, oh, that's a crop my God class over there. You know what? I'm going to try it. Uh, oh, there's a capoeira class over there. <laughs> I'm going to try it. Like, it's just a vacation. And for me, it's a vacation from my day-to-day -day art. You know, like, oh, I'm going to do jujitsu. Mm -hmm. Well, I do jujitsu all the time. Like, why wouldn't I try something I've never done? So, but when I've gone, I've had weird experiences. And strangely enough, some of the worst experiences I have had were in legitimate arts. And it wasn't the art mm -hmm. that was the issue. And I think that people put so mm -hmm. much emphasis and put on a pedestal. Oh, I do this art, so I'm legitimate. No, you're not. Like, just because, like, you know how to shoot a gun doesn't mean that you're very good at teaching people on how to shoot a gun. Just because you're good at running doesn't mean you can show another person how to run like you do. A good coach, a good instructor looks at what your goals are as a, as a client, as a student, 
and goes, I'm going to help you reach your goals because my goals are going to take a back seat. Poor gyms put the instructor's goals above the client. Mm -hmm. They go, you know what? I'm going to make you a high level competitor. I don't want to be a competitor. No, no, no. You're going to be like, well, why? Because why? Because your ego, you want to produce to make yourself look good when your client has no need or want for that. 75% legit statistic of people who join martial arts never compete. 75%. So why? It's because they don't want to. They're doing it because they want a hobby. They want to learn something new. They want friends. They want a mentor. They want to, uh, they want to get out of the house. They want to decompress. They could care less about what your goals are. Just like for me, I know that the guy who runs Walmart, his goal is to make money. That's all his goal is. He wants to run that business and make money. That's his goal. What he's not going to do is he's not going to walk up to me in the middle of the store and say, give me money. Okay, no, I'm going to leave. But if he does his job correctly, I'll give him money voluntarily because my goal might be I need to buy groceries. So if he lays that out for me and makes it easier for me to buy groceries, I will buy more groceries. If he shoves his ideas, his thoughts down my throat, I will not. Mm-hmm. Like, boo, give me 30 bucks. Like I was going to, but now you're just asking me, so I'm going to leave. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing with your students. What do they want? What do they care about? What will help them reach their goals? And if you do that, mm-hmm. you'll probably help out more people. You'll have better retention. More people will see that right off the bat and more people will sign up. Hell, you might even get more people just coming into your gym because they heard on the street that you care about your client. Where the guy across the street, he might have five students. It smells. The gym isn't clean. Their equipment is from 1932. I'm pretty sure that they have like a some weird picture of them with Steven Seagal in the corner that's all black and white, high-fiving, right? But again, as a client, I care about that. I care that it's not clean. I care that it smells like feet. I care that I can tell the equipment's old. I care that you're not treating this like a business. I will go somewhere else. But the people who run those businesses are so headstrong that they'll go, you know what? We have five world champions here. We're the best in the world. Mm. okay you got five world champions you know that guy across the street has 250 students and they're all reaching their goals you have five students who are reaching your goals like i'm i promise you your gym will eventually close and the guy across the street will win and you're complaining the entire way that's a mcdojo they have they just charge too much they don't know Mm. what they're doing like that's a poor business practice how about you look at what they're doing and instead of being proud of the fact that you have five world champions If you made five, you can't make 250 because they're trying. And even though they might not be successful, they're at least helping them reach their goals. So I think gyms need to stop being so proud of the fact that they're broke. Mm -hmm. Gyms need to stop being proud of the fact that they don't have very many students. Mm -hmm. That's not something to be proud of. That means you're failing. Yeah, I also think like there's a lot of um, accountability because people and other coaches I met that if a particular student couldn't achieve their goals or whatever, it was always the student's fault. Like I often also think that coaches just put others down just because they don't want to take responsibility for their own failing. And I don't say failing necessarily in a negative way. I mean, we made mistakes as we were learning and growing. Like for me, it's just like something that we learned. Like like one thing, what we had last year was like when we uh, got notice from, from our landlord that we had to go out. We had like six months time to figure and find out a new space that is and affordable and close enough that we would not have to start all over again with all the people. 
and it was not it's not easy especially in munich it's expensive it's it's difficult to find also space that would allow you know a dojo in there and all that so we were so much searching so we were teaching and we were searching everything came at once so what happened was that we cleaned but we didn't clean as much as we did before and then we also were on holiday we were just gone and then we had, we had a bunch of open mats that then some people just organized and then at one point uh we just sensed that something in the vibe was off so i asked like hey guys is something going on um you know like because we want to have you guys to have the best experience possible and uh Interesting enough, we then got like the answer literally like, no, 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 everything is fine. And then a week later, it apparently exploded during an open mat. We only figured out because, not because I spy on people, but we have just cameras just to see. Because sometimes people also just like do some awesome moves that I just can watch back. Or I also use it to watch back when I roll as well. I can just observe my students and to see like, oh, okay, we should focus on this or that, blah, blah. And I just had this feeling like I cannot explain but there, there it was. It was very, very aggressive. So then we addressed it and we said, like, first off, you're right. It's not to the standard that we want to. So we also immediately fixed that. We then also just invested money. We got like, you know, extra cleaners and all that. And I also said, like, well, since we're now also very busy, maybe sometimes one of you can also just vacuum clean, just to do it together because we're, we're finding really searching for the best space. The reactions of the students were very fascinating. So you had like, most of them were like, oh, oh, so we can just come to you and tell you, you know, there is no uh, anger necessarily or, or or punishment. Oh, we can just say it because it was fixed within, within a week, it was fixed. And sometimes we also just lose sight of things because there's so many things going on. And, and then others could not get over it. Everything then was shit. And then they indeed also left, which then I also at that point didn't mind because I'm like, yeah, well, if I cannot you know, if everything is shit anyways, and I don't know anything I would do or say makes much better. And I also don't necessarily need that kind of vibe in my gym either, especially because I'm like, we admitted we didn't do that right, but we made it right. And I think that's also how when you start out, there are so many things you just don't know. Also now we, our gym now exists like a little over five years and also now, I mean, if I would start a business now, there would, there's a million things I would do so differently that I just didn't even know, didn't, didn't ever heard of. So I also would say like, it's really a process. And I think making mistakes is good because then you realize where the problems lie so that you can fix it instead of blaming it on others, other people saying like, oh no, my students just complain. I'm like, no, they had, a, they had a legit concern. Well, um, I told you earlier, I've been doing business consulting for gyms for about 10 years now. And I've seen all kinds of things come up and it all boils down to two things, right? If you follow these two rules, you should be fine, right? One, put your client above everything else. And what I mean by that is, did you really do everything you could for your client? Not just when they were in your eyesight, mm -hmm. like, do you really care about them? Like if you have like a family member whose birthday it is, what would you do? might call them, might send them a text. Hey man, happy birthday, right? You might take them out. And then from there, would you go above and beyond for them? Like how you would treat a distant cousin for their birthday is not the same as you would probably treat your spouse, right? right. And to do something above and beyond for them. What you should be doing is going above and beyond for as many clients as humanly possible. Like put them first, put them above. This is their experience they're paying you for. Go above and beyond. And if you do that, not only will it allow you to charge more, but it'll also put you in a position where they will be happy to pay that. They cannot wait to pay you because they know that you're going to do everything you can to give a damn about them. Right. The other thing is everything is your fault. 
<laughs> That's another thing. Everything's your fault. Is your business going well? Are you making a lot of money and everybody's happy? That's your fault. You did that. Is your business failing? Did someone leave? That's also your fault. Everything falls on you. Never try to push anything off onto anybody else. You can't control what everybody else is doing, but you can control what you're doing. And there's always a way to make things right. One thing that I always suggest for gym owners is have an exit survey. An exit survey mm -hmm. is huge. Somebody decides they're going to leave. You put it in your contract. Hey, you can leave. Just give us X amount of notice for whatever reason. And also fill out the exit survey. Once we receive the exit survey, we'll take care of your payment. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You're good to go. Right. And then when you do that, you're going to start to realize that when people are leaving, they're leaving for a reason. They're not just leaving. Mm -hmm. There are definitely people who move or are in the military or have to transfer. That happens. Right. We understand that. But why are the people leaving who are just leaving? If you do an exit survey, they'll tell you because they have nothing to gain from this and nothing to lose. Now's the time I get to tell you what I really think mm -hmm. because they feel that they couldn't come to you in the first place to talk to you. So I always encourage the exit survey and a mat chat. Exit survey is going to tell you why people leave. A mat chat will make it so that way they don't leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Somebody right before class or during our stretching, we're going to talk about whatever's going on with the day. Like, hey, guys, just so everybody knows while we're stretching out, go and reach over to your right, grab your right foot. So everybody knows we have a tournament coming up. We'd love for you guys to sign up. You can sign up for that at the front desk. Just make sure before you leave, you take care of that. Then at the end of class, you say the same thing. Oh, and just as a reminder, we have a tournament. Make sure you sign up before the end of class. The other thing you could do is, hey, we're doing a survey this month. We're just trying to see how we can improve our facility. Everybody do us a favor. Go online. It's completely anonymous survey. You can fill out the form, send it in to us, and then what we'll do is we'll use that to help make the facility better, right? And then that's just as easy as your Instagram. Like Instagram literally has a feature where you can have people send in anonymous letters to you. <laughs> like you can just mm -hmm. use the, the technology we already have. Or, hey guys, we're looking to try to improve. We're going to pick two or three ideas and we're going to implement them into our facility. Whoever has the best ideas, we're going to give you 50% off the pro shop. We're going to give you a free t-shirt. We're going to give you free gloves, a free gi, whatever it may be, right? Utilizing the fact that you want it to be an open space that is accepting mm -hmm. of outside ideas and opinions goes a long way for most clients. Like you were saying, your clients at the time didn't necessarily feel comfortable coming to you directly. You had kind of had to find out. But then after that, now they go, oh, well, it's okay that we approach you with issues and problems. Because as martial artists, we forget how long we've been doing martial arts <laughs> mm -hmm. and we forget how different it is to the outsider. Some new client coming in, they don't know the difference between Sifu, sensei, professor, coach. They don't know that all means the same crap. They don't know. We have to teach them that. And we also have to teach them and it's okay to come to you guys with problems or issues. Um, and that has to be nurturing. And that's what we call in the industry, your community. How does your community feel? Do they feel like they're a community? Because if they don't feel that way, they probably won't be and they probably won't stick around. Yeah, it's interesting. Like after that, a lot changed also. But what we find, like we have especially a big kid and teenage groups. We have also a bunch of apps really growing now. Adult Zone is now growing a lot. But at that time was especially kids and youth. And with them, we never had it. They always come and always told us if there is anything, you know, going on. So we were also surprised that with the adults was more difficult. Yeah. Because we even asked directly, then we got the answer. No, 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 everything is fine. But it was obviously not fine, even though we really 
us like we want you guys to get the best experience and then it kind of like amongst themselves blew up and that, that's when we like was like okay like you know we want to also take responsibility but then also give us the chance but it was very fascinating to me because we were just like also you so that's also one thing for us you know just because um other groups come to you when there is something you can't assume that therefore every group can come so there is definitely uh, improvement from our side and so, yeah, that was like, I think in the end, like it hurt me a lot, but in the end it was also such such a great um, uh, learning opportunity because now we're really thriving so much more and we're getting so many more um, also adults. So we get now a much more really family gym where you have like kind of everything. Mm. So that's good. And I have a question if I might ask. So we have now two rooms and some parents were like, but then we can also have like parallel class, right? My kid is training and I'm training. So we did a survey because I kind of wanted to know, because we can offer a few different things. So we did that and we got in no time, many, many, many reactions. Okay. So based on what was like most and everything, uh-huh. we decided upon what we would teach and now it's there and now they're not there or hardly like really not much. Yeah. The, uh, the old adage is that you never change your schedule based on what the client asked for. Mm-hmm. And I know that that sounds silly and other people might think, well, why would you not do that? It's because they don't run your business. You mm-hmm. run your business, right? So uh, if a client signs up with you and they said they can make it three times a week and they said that they can make it between the hours of 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., which is whatever your schedule is, right? Then all of a sudden they go, man, I really wish you had morning classes, which is, trust me, if you're a gym owner, you've heard the same spiel before, right? Um, I wish yes, you did yes. this. I really wish you did that, right? Well, what winds up happening is you make them pay before they ever do it. Mm -hmm. And why do you do that? Because that way you guarantee they're going to show up. And if they don't, that you actually have a fee. Think about going to a doctor's office, right? You schedule to go to a doctor's office. Now, not every doctor's office does this, but a lot have incorporated this where if you schedule something with them and you don't show up, you have to pay a fee for that. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the gym had to pay. Yep, yep. You had to pay for instructors to be there. You had to pay to turn those lights on. You had to pay for that time that you could have been doing something else. You had to pay. Now, so they don't show up on a whim and go, "Ah, I don't feel like doing it. Like, okay, well, it costs you money. And again, like I told you before, the people who pay the least show up the least. Mm -hmm. So if you wind up doing something like that for free and they don't show up, it costs you money, but it doesn't hurt them. Right. I couldn't do it this time. I'll do it next time. No, 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 no. What we do is we made a hard schedule. So we say, hey, as a part of like, you want that, okay, would that be something that you'd be willing to pay extra for? And they go, no, 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 no. Okay, well, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Or if they or if you say, all right, well, we have this schedule. Let's see who's signed up. Let's get a list of people who will hard sign up, right? And then I'm going to make you pay a fee if you don't show up just for the first one. I don't need to do it on any other one. I need to establish that people understand this is costing me. So I would like you to understand that you can't just not show up. Yes, yeah, like because what did they lose by not showing up? Yeah, nothing. They lost nothing. Yeah. What did you lose? Time, money, effort. Yeah, to so have to monetize it before you make it. Yeah, or you know, make sure that there's something hard set in stone, like mm-hmm. an incentive for showing up. Like I'll give you an example: a kickboxing studio that I used to work at. Um, they used to never do free trials. Free trials were not a thing. You did pay mm-hmm. trials, um, and then so what you can wind up doing is. For those paid trials, they automatically got a free set of gloves. Mm-hmm. So what happened was there was an incentive there. We have something for you when you show up. Mm-hmm. We need you to show up so you could receive this. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do I do if I don't show up? Well, the thing that I paid for is just going to sit there. I would never do that. So since I paid, I'm going to show up and get my gloves at least. Mm-hmm. That was an incentive, right? So what's the incentive for them showing up? Do they have one? Is there a reasoning? So if you're going to wind up doing that, one of the best ways to do it is set up like an event. So you can have like, all right, we're going to do this trial event. We're going to make it a big deal. And it's open to everybody. We want everybody to show up. And I use like cardio kickboxing as an example. Mm -hmm. So you have um, your jujitsu program. You have like maybe a straight up Muay Thai program, karate, judo, whatever it is. Right. But we're going to try this new class. So this is a trial class. We're going to do this for you guys. But if people don't show up, they don't show up. So how do I make sure that people show up? Don't just advertise internally. Run a campaign and treat it like no one's going to show up from your gym automatically. People think that's a good idea. Okay, how many? One or two? (laughs) One or two doesn't make a class. So what I'll do is I'll go, you know what? Okay, that's not a bad idea. We have the time, means, and effort. I'm going to run a campaign for a month, maybe two, well before I start the program. And let's say we're in January. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start campaigning in January and February for a class that's not going to happen until March. So January and February is all advertising outside. Hey, just as a heads up, we're beginning classes at this time and date. Give us a call so we can get you scheduled. If they call you in January, schedule them for that March class and fill the class before you ever start. Don't start and then hope to fill the class. So now I have a full classroom full of people who only are there for that particular class. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't now give a damn that all of my clients who are now currently already paying me don't show up to that. Doesn't matter. They're still paying me the same. That's definitely a mistake we made because for like other classes, we do exactly that. We have like also monetize before you make it. So also when I do a yoga, new yoga class, you know, it's like, kind of I don't know, eight times, 10 times, whatever. And they have to pay me in advance so that I also like have the money before so that I don't just stand there wait until people may or may not show up. Yeah, like it is is a very common thing in, in the martial arts industry because a lot of us started training at gyms that were already established. And when we start training there, we don't think to ask the business questions because we're not there for business. We're there as a a student. Mm -hmm. So when years go by and you've been a student for years, those questions that were on your mind earlier do not come up later on down the road. You Mm -hmm. just forget about them and you just enjoy being a student. If we started asking those questions early on with a thought, maybe one day I could do this for a living. How do these systems work? How did you get all these clients? How did all that happen? We just typically don't do that. What we usually do is we get to the point where we're like, all right, now I'm interested. Mm -hmm. Now I want to start a business Mm -hmm. and I assume a lot of things. But what's really weird, here's the weirdest thing about martial arts. It's it's still fascinating to me. So we learn martial arts with the very first thought of, I don't know how to do something. Mm -hmm. Like that's how we start anything. I don't know how to dance. I'm going to go take a dance class. I don't know how to paint. I'm going to take a painting class. I don't know how to defend myself. I'm going to join martial arts. So you start off going, I know nothing. So now you join martial arts, you become a white belt. And as a white belt, you start off with the idea of, I don't know something, but this person does. And I'm going to trust them to teach me how to do this so I could be good at it. Mm -hmm. And we have that thought with everything. Then we train with them for years and we train with them so often. We're even proud to say that we are a black belt or a blue belt or a purple belt under so-and-so. Hey, what's your lineage, which is important in martial arts, right? Oh, I'm a black belt under Henzo Gracie. I'm a black belt under Hicks and Gracie. I'm a Donahue black belt, you know, those names. And you say that because you're proud of who you train under. 
We're proud of that. I train under so-and-so. I can prove to you I train because so-and-so teaches me. Mm-hmm. But then when we start a martial arts school, we don't have that same mentality. We don't go, you know what? I've never run a martial arts school before. Even if you were an instructor, mm-hmm. you weren't running it, right? It wasn't yours. You were working for someone. So you don't know what that burden feels like. Then all of a sudden we dive headfirst onto opening a school. We don't do any research. We don't get a mentor. We don't study. We don't learn. We just go, you know what? I'm good at this activity. So people will show up. That's not how any of this works, but that's how the majority of people do it. So without having that white belt mentality stay with you, you will fail. You have to have that. Like, this is a new activity for me. I'm going to learn how to do it the best I can. And if you're not open to learning and growing, you will fail. It's just an unfortunate thing. Yeah, I will say like when we started, I did also this course, like how to found your company, because in Germany, you have also different like legal type of companies you can found. So we did, we did all that. I also learned like about, you know, kind of like the, for dummies, you know, like the marketing, the finances, all that. And what I will say is that it definitely helps. I also wrote a business plan, all of that. Like we, we did the market research, like also like the, the area we were at and checked like if, if there are potential competition, what they all did, like we, we mapped that all out. And that gave us, I think, a very good foundation. But there were also so many things that I just didn't understand at a time. Even though I was diving into marketing, I was diving into it. It took me really quite some time to understand the concepts of value, the concepts of like how you get a connection with somebody, how you solve a problem for somebody so that they actually want also the service that you offer. I know people said these things to me, but sometimes in the beginning it was maybe, maybe it was just also so overwhelming because it's a lot um, that I find like over time, I start to really also get a better understanding and I know what to look out for. And like I, I get a better understanding of what I don't know yet and what I want to learn. Mm. So like, I will say like we did all of that. And yet when I think back, it was still not enough. Or, or at least I still realize that there were still like big holes um, that we just start patching up now because now we start to see what is still missing. Well, like the, the thing that I just told you, right, about getting people scheduled in the class ahead of time. So like mm-hmm. uh, you start off, okay, well, I'm going to start this class in March. So January and February, all I'm going to do is advertise to outside sources because I can't just thin out my own pool. Like, okay, well, I have mm-hmm. more space. Most of the people who signed up, signed up at this specific time and date because it was convenient for them, whether or not they're going to follow through or not. At that point, it doesn't really matter because that's on them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the best that I can to encourage them. I'm going to try to offer it for them. I'm going to make sure that I stay on top of that. I'm going to give them deals, send them emails, all that stuff, right? But if they don't show up, they just simply don't show up. That's my fault. Again, that whole like everything's our fault, thing, right? That's mm-hmm. my fault for assuming that I can do that with that class. What I needed to do was treat it like a grand opening which is why I'm coming back to it. Yeah. So like every time you open a new class, treat it like a grand opening, meaning I need to fill that class before I ever even start it. And you do that with trial members. And that's a good lead generating tool. Like, Hey man, we have a new class at this time yeah. and date. Maybe the people who love our program and have been interested and haven't signed up yet is specifically because they didn't have the time because they work during those hours, mm-hmm. bartenders, bouncers, yeah. security, but I have a 6 a.m. class now, so now I can re-advertise again and maybe get some of those people, shake those trees to get them to show up to the 6 a.m. Well, awesome. That's great. Now I filled up that classroom. A grand opening is identical to that. A grand opening is, okay, well, I don't have any classes at all, and I know I'm going to open in mm-hmm. April. So since I'm going to open in April, 
January, February, March. That's all staff training. That's all us on the mats. That's all everybody learning how to make a phone call. Everybody learning how to work your software. Everybody learning how to sign people up. Everybody learning how to give a tour of your facility. Everybody learning about every aspect of your job. And so like most businesses for, that start off, you don't have a lot of employees, martial arts especially. Maybe you have like three employees, two employees, hell, some people are even by themselves. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how many employees you have, even if you're by yourself, that time leading up to your opening should be all about getting people scheduled way ahead of time and train, 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 and do it until you can't, you sleep and someone woke you up and said, ring, ring, which is just training for the phone call, right? You'd say, hey, this is Rob with such and such martial arts. How may I help you? Like you just know it off the top of your head. It's not even anything you have to think about. And so that's a hard time for a lot of businesses, martial arts anyway. They don't know how to open a gym to begin with. So they open the gym and they go, people will show up because I'm good at what I do. Yes, I know. Like they don't, no one knows you're good at what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to advertise. No, this is very helpful. And it's, it's good to have like a sparring partner just to like, you know, also to be corrected. It's very, it's very good because then we also have some new ideas moving forward. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And then as we are also already on our, what else do you really think uh, we should still briefly discuss regarding the martial arts world? Something that should be challenged, something that's outdated, something like you as a last, last topic. Well, you know, a couple, a couple things. One, we, we touched on at the beginning, making money is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. That's got to be an idea and a thought that we have to get rid of. Everyone who does a job gets paid for a job. If you would like to do a voluntary thing, if you'd like to do a charity thing, if you'd like to do it for free, there is nothing wrong with that. You should still run it like a business, even if you do it for free. Because if you're not worried about how your client feels, mm -hmm. if you're not following up with them, if you're not calling them or speaking to them, if you're not setting them on a good path that's organized, it's going to show that you're disorganized. And how you do something is how you do everything. So I walk into your bathroom, right? This is one of the first things I do when I go into a martial arts school, by the way, even if I don't have to go. I walk in, maybe I just wash my hands, splash water on my face. But the only reason I go in there is because I want to see if it's clean. Mm -hmm. So what people wind up doing is they think that because they charge less, they can care less. So if I walk into the bathroom and there's pee in there, it smells, it's gross, it hasn't been kept up with, I know there's more wrong with this building and how it's run than just this bathroom. If I walk in and it's clean, I know they give a damn. I go, okay, well, maybe this business has run well. But if I walk in and it smells in the gym, I know at least you don't care about your cleanliness in here. So that's one thing right off the bat. If you don't introduce yourself. So again, no matter how much you charge, what you charge, none of that matters. It should still be run like a professional business, period. If you don't, your client's going to see that and they're not going to stay. Or you're going to alienate some of your clients or it's going to be the first red flag. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows red flags, right? You sit there and you go, oh, well, that was weird. I'm going to stay. But now that that happened, I'm going to view you differently. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you I view you differently. I just will. And now I'll be looking for problems, right? But if I don't give you problems to find in the first place, now, even if you do make a mistake, that will be overlooked. Yeah. They'll go, you know what? It's always clean in here. This one day I came in, it wasn't, that's okay. But if I start off with, it's always dirty in here and one day it was clean, that shouldn't shock people. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, it's it's an off day. They cleaned. 
<laughs> that's not what you want to hear from your client, you know? Um, so I think that, I think the next thing is, you know, a lot of people care so much about how long it takes to get a belt. Mm-hmm. Who gives a crap? Yep. Who cares? Yep. Doesn't matter. BJ Penn got his black belt in jujitsu in three years, three years. And yet when a Taekwondo black belt gets his black belt in three years, people call them a fraud. Mm-hmm. So are we saying BJ Penn's a fraud? Well, no, no. The reason that's you're different. arguing is specifically because, yeah, it's different because it's the art you do. Yeah. And that's not anything new in the industry. People always crap on every other art. It's very much like religion. Every religion feels they got it right and everyone else is wrong but us, which is very culty, right? It's the same thing with jujitsu or martial arts. Everyone's got it wrong. We got it right. No, they just preferred something different than you. That's what they wanted, right? That it, it, you crapping on them is not going to make your business look good. That's all I'm saying. So when people are out there finger pointing and making blaming everybody else, stop. Like they might not be as good as you. Who cares? But they still have 350 clients and you got mm-hmm. 10. So they're doing something right. So when we look before we start crapping on other people's gyms, especially in our area, we should look at what they're doing correctly. So in most people's opinions, they'll go, well, they're they're not doing martial arts right. They're, they get beat up. Okay. If that's what you think they're doing wrong, make sure you don't do that. Correct that. But if they have more students than you, they're doing something better than you. Yep. So you should probably pay attention to that and learn instead of just dismissing them all together because you can beat them up. Remember, that doesn't matter in any business ever, even in martial arts. You know, like Freddie Roach, one of the best boxing coaches on the planet, has Parkinson's. So he has a very rough shake. You or I could probably beat up Freddie Roach. Does that mean that he's not successful, not good at what he does? Mm-hmm. No, it has nothing to do with that. He has a skill that he was able to utilize to create world champions. John Donahue, how many competitions has John Donahue ever done? Zero. Zero. But he produces world champions. So just because you might think you can beat up John Donahue, which is probably not true, <laughs> yeah. but just because someone thinks that they could beat up John Donahue doesn't mean that he doesn't have a track record of being successful in what he does. So beating someone up or being good at martial arts means nothing to a client who's never done martial arts. (laughs) Of course, if you took a week of martial arts classes, you should be able to beat this person up, right? So why does that matter? We got to get rid of that ego thinking that that's the most important thing. It's not, it means nothing. Yeah, it's the same, you know, like uh, in the BJ world, that then somebody comes in, we have a two, the parents call us or walk in and they're like, yeah, it is karate, right? You know, and it's not. But I know that some people get like triggered, you know, are like, no, it's not, you know, but I'm like, well, also when they mistake it for judo or whatever, like they're not so wrong in the end. Um, but I mean, they just see a gi or kimono and they're like, oh, the first thing they associate with it is either karate or judo or something like that. Right. And I think that's not, a, this is a great way to start because you can just have like, ask them, like, oh, did you, did you do a martial art before or something like that? And you just kind of just use it as a conversation. But I, I notice often that some people really get triggered because indeed, as you say, this culty part thinking like, oh, my martial art is the best and all the others suck or are maybe legit, but not as legit as, or whatever, whatever people say. But yeah, I also think like take things less personally and more as a connecting point because mm-hmm. the interest is there. Otherwise they wouldn't call you or they wouldn't walk in. Yeah. I mean, starting off a conversation, making fun of someone's ignorance is not usually the best thing to do. Um, but there's an old trick like this is something that comes up quite a bit. 
Um, it's an old fold called trick for martial arts industry. So like someone calls and they ask for a martial art you don't do. You just ask them what about that martial art interests them. Oh, that's cool. You're looking for karate. What about karate interests you? And then they realize, well, I don't know. That's just the word that I know. Like, <laughs> I don't know judo, jujitsu, Okinawan shonru. I don't know kempo. I don't know all that. Shotokan. They don't know. They're, they're, this is new to them. So it's our job to start coaching them right off the bat. Like, okay, well, they're interested. Like you said, let's start a conversation from that. What about karate interests you? Oh, I don't know. I, that's just what I know. I, I saw it on TV. Okay, was it because of self-defense? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, I want to lose some weight. Oh, now we have a dialogue. Like, well, we don't do karate, but we do jiu-jitsu. This is what jiu-jitsu is. Oh, we don't do that, but this is what we do, which is actually meets a lot of the things you were asking for. Um, why don't we just try it out and see if it's something that you'd like? You know, like the whole point of that call is to get them to come in the door anyway. Yeah. So get them in the door. You know, don't you can't insult somebody and then ask them for something later. Yeah. You know, like, like that just doesn't work. No. Well, thank you very much. It's very enlightening for me and I'm pretty sure for many others as well, because I know others are also in the process of, you know, starting their own gym or even starting classes. I mean, same for women that are asked to, I don't know, do a ladies only class or something like that. I think many of what you shared with us today will hold true for them as well. So thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate it because it was a lot of value in one hour 10. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And then can I add one more thing? I actually, yeah. I've been doing business consulting for martial arts gyms now, like I said earlier, for about a decade. We've consolidated that and we started putting that on our YouTube channel. So if anybody is looking for different ideas, thoughts, they want to add to their program about lead generation, retention, conversion rates, and they want to tighten up their business. We offer that. It's $50 a month on our YouTube channel. We put out a video every week. I promise you're going to get more value out of one video than you will for an entire month of just paying the 50 bucks. So every time you go, every week there's a new video. They're roughly about 30 minutes long and they touch on different subjects every month. So we'll go from this month, we're talking about lead generation. And every week we'll have a different video about how to get better lead generation. The next month conversion, how to get people signed up. And every video that month is all about that. And so we keep rotating. Um, so that way there's always more stuff in there. But you also get access to our entire library of everything that we've done up to that point as well. So it's a lot of value for just 50 bucks a month. It's the cheapest consulting you'll probably ever get. And of course you get access. People can reach out to me anytime if they're a member of that program on our YouTube channel. And then I'll reach out to them and help them out personally with anything they need anytime they want. Yeah, I will add uh, the links in the show notes so when people want to connect with you, they can. And uh, again, thank you very much. And I'm sure we stay in touch. For sure. Appreciate you. Thank you, Rob, so much for all these pointers. I'm sure that our listeners learned a lot and are eager to start experimenting with them. For those who want to work with Rob, please check the show notes below. Wish you all a lovely week.